7, starting at verse 1. It says, And Jacob dwelled in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Israel's the name of Jacob after he has his name changed. So it says Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. Now in that day, a coat of many colors would have spoke volumes because it would have been so astronomically expensive for them to take all of those different fabrics and put something together to make something that was a multicolored coat. And so jo Joseph was Jacob's favorite son for many reasons. One of the reasons is he was married at that time. He had multiple wives, but his wife, his favorite wife was Rachel. And, and Rachel, uh, this was the firstborn son of Rachel, the wife that Jacob really loved. And so if there were any questions about uh, Joseph's future, Jacob made it clear when he gave him this code. It spoke that clear message. And the implication was that robes set him apart from his other brothers. And so they're already a little bit ticked off, a little bit frustrated. And uh, this doesn't help. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than the other brothers, they hated him. They hated him. They could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream and told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Because Joseph, this 17-year-old lad, wearing this top-shelf coat from his dad, he says, guys, I got a dream to tell you. It says, behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves all stood around me and bowed down to me. Now, you could imagine they were not like, bro, that's awesome. That, I love that. That's exciting. Right? I can imagine if Lane comes to Luke and says, bro, hey, I had a dream. You're bowing down to me in the dream. It's awesome. I can't imagine that Jared comes to Zach and Dylan and says, guys, I got a dream. You're bowing down to me. I can't imagine Daniel goes over to Aaliyah and says, hey, I have this dream. It's awesome. You bow down to me in it. Even in this day, I can't imagine. We're like, really? That is so exciting. I love that you shared that with me today. <laughs> and they're like, take your stupid coat off. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's kind of the, you know, that's, that's, that's what, uh, that's their attitude. And his brother said to him, you shall indeed reign over us, or thou shalt indeed have dominion over us. They hated even more for his dreams. But then he dreams another dream in verse 9. And told it to his brother. And he said, I got another dream. I, I have another dream. Here, here's what it is. You know what? The moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me in my dream. Even mom and dad are bowing down to me in my dream this time. Jacob's like, dude, all right, you've gone too far now. Me and mom are not bowing down to you. Okay, that's not going to happen. But verse 11, it says his brothers envied him, but his father observed the saying. Jacob might have said, we're not going to bow down, but there's something in him new. Hey, God's speaking to this young man. And so he hid it in his heart, and he said, all right, I got to 
Got to hold on to this. And today I would just want to preach on this topic. The path to provision goes through praise. The path to provision goes through praise. Jesus, thank you, God, so much. We feel your presence and power. We've sung songs of worship. I believe you received our worship. We felt your presence. We've longed for your spirit. You're so good to us, to our families, God. Even in the midst of trials and situations, you're still faithful. And God, thank you for every man, woman, and child who's made it a point to either be here in person or they're watching online right now. God, thank you for them. Let this word that you've given me come alive to someone today so that we could respond and be and do all that you want us to be and do in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, so Joseph in his dreams, you know, he, things, are, things are going south. You know, he's trying to tell everybody, yeah, guys, this is great. His brothers are like, we hate him. We cannot stand him. And so his father sends him out one day, you know, bringing him snacks and going to check on him. And they see him coming from a distance. They're like, now is the time. Let's kill this guy. That's how bad they hate him. Okay. We might dislike our siblings at times, but it's not this bad. All right. So they're like, we need to kill him. So they come walking up. Well, one of the brothers stands up and says, no, 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 no. We need to, we need to make some money off this guy. Let's put him in the pit, but there's traitors coming. Let's just sell him into slavery. And then we'll just pretend he's dead, but we'll have some coin in our pocket. So they go ahead and do that, and, and, and they come home, and they lie to their father, who's just distraught, devastated. They dipped his coat in animal blood, and they're like, oh, dad, and, but they don't care. Because we read on, and, you know, we think about a sibling. They didn't, there was no part in the Bible where they were like, you know, and then they started feeling bad, so they sent out a search party. So they went out looking for him. They got the dog sniffing, the do dog sniffing around, trying to find where the traitors took him. No, they're like, see ya. We don't read about them really hunting him down or feeling horrible about him. They're like, we got money, he's gone, life's good. So Joseph's then sold by the traders into, the, into a powerful man's house in Egypt named Potiphar. And he excels there. And the Bible says he's a prosperous man. And everything Joseph touched prospered. I, I would love that to be something in my life. I mean, imagine, wouldn't you want everything you touch to just prosper? Many Bible scholars think that Potiphar didn't necessarily believe his wife because what happens is his wife finds this young man attractive and she tries to seduce him. She tries to, to get him to come to bed with her and, and, and he's, he's a man that's, no, I'm not doing that. And so he gets out of there, and, but she grabs onto his coat as he takes off. The coats are always causing Joseph problems. And so she grabs onto his coat, and he gets out of there, and he's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a man. I'm, I'm not going to live this way. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm not doing that. But Potiphar, her husband, could have killed him, had him killed instantaneously, but he doesn't. He sends him to the prison, which some, be, some scholars believe that he didn't, he didn't believe his wife. But he gets thrown into jail where he finds favor, and everywhere he goes, he's finding favor. But everywhere he goes, it's not easy. But everywhere he goes, he's finding favor. And so he gets in the jail and he finds favor with the keeper of the prison so much that this guy's like giving the keys. You know, Joseph is calling when mealtime is and break time. And Joseph's kind of running things in there. And, and, and in, in jail, he meets Pharaoh's butler and baker. Now, I got to pause and say, what kind of a baker do you have to be to get thrown in jail? Like you had to really bake a lot of brownies and burn some stuff. In order to, to get thrown 
in jail. And so Joseph, they, Butler and Baker have dreams. Joseph's like, I'll tell you, God's just give me the interpretation. Here's what your dream means. Sure enough, Baker dies. It was that bad. He's gone. Butler, though, gets restored just like Joseph said he was going to get restored. And so he says, hey, when you get to Pharaoh's kingdom, though, just remember me. Butler's like, yeah, man, no doubt. I'll never forget you. Well, he gets back to work, and guess what? He forgets Joseph. Because people let us down sometimes, don't they? It's life. And so the butler's there, and Pharaoh, he starts having dreams because God has a way that no matter where we are, he's going to get us to where he wants us to be. And we sometimes stress because we feel like someone else has to help us get there. But you just need to know that if God's called you to something, he's going to use people to help you get there, but you, he, you don't need to just rely on a human being. God will take care of it. God will take care of it. And so Pharaoh starts having dreams, and he's telling his magician, somebody's got to interpret this dream for me. I'm seeing weird things and cows coming up out of water and eating and then starving. And what is going on? They're like, I don't have any clue. Ding. Butler goes, whoa, wait a minute. I was in jail, and this guy that's in jail interpreted my dream. And Pharaoh's like, where is he now? And he's like, uh, he's still in jail. Pharaoh's like, well, go get him. So Joseph comes in. Yes, Pharaoh, God spoke to me. God spoke to me. Here, here's what your dream means. There's going to be seven years. There's going to be a famine. Then there's going to be, there's going to be a plenty. And then there's going to be a famine. And you need to prepare. And, and so Pharaoh says, man, I need a guy like you on my team. Let's make him second in command unto me. And we think, wow, look at the, the fulfillment of all of his dreams. But it's interesting because even that, Joseph never stepped into the lead chair. He was still leading from the second chair. But he understood that he could have influence. He understood. And what a crazy road. Some major ups and downs for Joseph to get here. Joseph was about 17 when he sold into slavery. He had these dreams, these big aspirations about what God was going to do. And then he turns, it's 30 years old. He didn't stand before Pharaoh till he was 30. How many of us have God given something to us and we'll come and we'll, we'll feel like we have some direction or a message is preached or a scripture is read or maybe you pray and God gives you something at altar and we're expecting like, all right, cool. I prayed on Tuesday, Wednesday morning. It's done. We're, we're, we got it all figured out. I love when God does that because he's capable of that. But you know, he rarely does that. He usually will call us, and then there is this in-between phase. There is this separation between, hey, here's, here's the vision. Here's what I'm calling you to do. But the fruition, the, the culmination of the vision is sometimes way down here. And then you have this in-between time of what now? And so here, Joseph, 13 years of ups and downs and ups and downs and 13 years of never feeling like, God, where are you at? Do you remember? Was that from you? How many ever had a dream where you start to wonder if it was really God? <clears throat> but the true measure of a human being is found in what it takes to make them quit. Joseph's brothers finally do come before Joseph. Just like his dream from years ago. But they come for food. Because Joseph now is second in command in Egypt. 
and he has heard from God and there's been plenty and they've been storing it up when the rest of the world is just not knowing the famine's coming, but they're storing and planning ahead. And now the brothers and his dad and everybody, they realize we got to go to Egypt. They're the only ones with food. Genesis 42, verse 3, Joseph's 10 brothers went to buy corn in Egypt. And Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren. For he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. I said this last night. Some point in my life, I have to figure out a way to have a conversation and slip in the word peradventure. Just got to figure out the best way to use it, you know, like. If the Chiefs game goes in overtime, peradventure, we will not make prayer. We need to make sure that we're at prayer. Like, I just, I just got to slip that into my kids sometime just to see their face. But you see here, Joseph says, or Jacob says, I ain't sending Benjamin. Why? Because Rachel, his favorite wife, only gave him two sons. Joseph, and then she died giving him Benjamin. He's, in his mind, already lost Joseph. I ain't sending Benjamin. Benjamin is not going because I know what happened last time. He's sticking close to me. But eventually, Joseph requires Benjamin to come. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes the things that we're trying to protect and hold near and dear to our heart, in order for God to perform the miraculous in your life, sometimes you have to release those things into God's hands and say, okay, Lord, I can't hold on to this forever. I'm going to put it in your hands and trust that you can handle it. And so he says, oh, I, can't, I, can't let it go. I can't let it go. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Joseph was the governor over the land, and it, he, it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came, and guess what? Just like his vision. They bowed themselves before him. But they didn't recognize him. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. That's a good man. <laughs> because for me, if I had told my, my siblings, like, oh, you're going to bow. And then they put me in a pit and sold me to traders and never came looking for me. The minute I saw them come walking down the street, I'd be like, hey, I told you so. I told you so. I told you so. <laughs> But Joseph, he's different now. You know, he's growing up a little bit. He's in the Egyptian attire. Maybe he's got the Egyptian hairdo going on. I don't know. And so they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And so he's sitting there biting his tongue and, and staring at him. And they bow down, and, and he's standing there. And he plays a couple games with them. Plays a couple games with them. He's not perfect. He's a little bit of a jerk, a little bit here and there. But go back to Joseph's dream when he describes his dream to his brothers 13 years earlier. And I want you to see something. Because in verse 7, it says, Behold, we were, high, we were binding sheaves in the field. And he says, I'll tell you what, as, the, as, as my sheaf arose and also stood upright, your sheaves gathered around me. And they bowed down and, 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 and they made obeisance to, to my sheaf. But... Notice, before that that ever took place, there was a prophetic word in that dream because in order for that to happen, his sheaf needed to stand upright. I'm not talking about posture. You know, you got a parent like, hey, lift up your chin, stand straight. You know, not that. 
But in order for God to really fulfill the vision, Jacob needed to be a man, or Joseph needed to be a man of integrity. He needed to be able to stand upright. That was a key to being mightily used of God. And here you are in 2021, and it's still a key of being mightily used of God. Integrity is what you are when no one sees. And for Joseph, that woman came on to him. He, nobody's home. He could have said, yeah, you know, well, hey, I've, been, I've had a hard life. I deserve this. But he's like, no, no, I'm a child of God. And it doesn't matter if no one else will know there are certain things that I don't care when I'm by myself. I am a man of integrity. I know that I've been called to stand upright, even if I feel like the world's let me down. And so before his brothers ever bowed down, Joseph first needed to stand upright. And that's what he did with Potiphar's wife in the prison with his brothers. And you don't think he wanted to throw them in a dungeon. They show up, start bowing down. He could have said, take every last one of them. And he did actually throw them in a little bit till Benjamin came back. So he's like, I'm going to have a little fun with them. But you don't think he wanted to say, sell them to traitors. Get them out of here. Joseph needed to stand up, right? Not just in a physical sense, but also spiritual sense and forgiving his brothers. And, and there's a message from God for us today in the chapter immediately prior to this passage. We read about Joseph's brothers coming into his presence before that, right before that. And it tells us about how Joseph had some kids. Genesis 41 verse 50, and unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine came. This isn't the plenty. It's before the famine show, shows up. He has two sons. And it says in verse 51, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God said he hath made me forget all my toil and all of my father's house. Verse 52, it says the name of the second was called Ephraim. For God had caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, I've said this many times in this poll, but names were everything in the Bible. They're, they are not like they are today. Today, you go to Barnes & Noble, you go to an Amazon, grab the top 500 names of the last decade, and you just like choose your name. You go on Google, and you search the top 100 names from 2020, 2021, and then you start scrolling when you're, when you're pregnant, and you're like, oh, what about that name? And the, the, the lady's like, no, I went to school with a girl with that name, and she was, oh, no way. And, and then the guy's like, uh-uh, I live down the road from that guy. That kid was a jerk. There ain't no way we're naming my son that kid. No, no, we and she just, my friend who I work with, they just had a baby and named their child. We can't name our baby. And so we just kind of randomly choose a name that we like. And then we laugh at some of the ones and they're like, who would name their kid that? That's how we kind of do our names today. Back then, though, a name was everything. A name was who you are. It captured the, like the meaning of your name captured who you were as a person. It defined you. That's why Jesus is Jehovah, the Old Testament God, is or has become our salvation. Sarai gets her name changed to Sarah, mother of nations. The, the name meant everything. And so Manasseh, Joseph's firstborn, it speaks a message. Because his firstborn son, and when you received a male child in that day, it was a blessing from God. And so the firstborn son, it's somebody that they could pass on their birthright. And, and so the firstborn son, he says, hey, God has made me forget my trouble. You see, 
Joseph had been through a lot of trouble and problems. He found himself in positions and places that he never imagined. When he was 17, as a young lad wearing the top of the line coat and just having dreams, he's just like, this is awesome. God is good. It's so amazing, this life that I'm living. So many of us have been through so much in our past. No doubt we could have some of you could stand up. You could say, hey, I'll tell you what, if my story's 10 chapters long, chapters 1 and 6 and 9, oh, that was wonderful. But there's a couple chapters in your life you're like, I would never go back and want to live that chapter again. But yet that chapter's what made you who you are today. And for Joseph, he said, hey, my firstborn's going to be his name's going to be God made me forget my trouble. Manasseh was a reminder to Joseph that God had erased his past and given him a fresh start. Joseph wasn't in a pit or a prison any longer. God had brought him out of the pit and into a palace. But before we go from the pit to the palace, there's a journey along the way, isn't there? Isn't there? I remember growing up, I would, I would ask God, I would say, Lord, I just, Lord, please just make me who you want me to be. Isn't that an admirable prayer? Anybody ever prayed that prayer before? God, make me who you want me to be. And then when he starts, we're like, what are you doing, God? Where are you? God, why are you taking me through this? God, have you forgotten your child? And he's like. But you, for us, we're like, no, when I said, make me what you want me to be, I just wanted a powerful ministry with a lot of earthly blessings, comfort, and health. That's what I was asking for. But we don't want to pray that because it sounds selfish. So we say, oh, God, make me who you want me to be. And then things get hard, and we get dropped down into a pit, and someone lets us down. We're like, God, I thought serving you would be better than this. I'll tell you, I, I wish I could say I was joking. I prayed that prayer so many times. And then I would hear, and I'd see people go through things, and I'd hear messages about the fire, and God fashions you in the fire. And if you're called, you're going to be, I'm like, oh, no. I'm called, but Lord, please, just make me who you want me to be. Just You can mold me without having to make me go through that stuff. <laughs> you guys laugh. I promise you I've prayed that prayer many times. I thought I was just like, and then I'd see somebody go through something, and I'd be like, they didn't pray the prayer that I prayed. <laughs> because me and in my infinite wisdom, hearing from God, I would say, Jesus, make me who you want me to be without taking me through the fire. My testimony will be what I've been kept from, Lord. And I start ministry, and just stuff starts happening. Like, Lord, what about my prayer? You start to deal with stuff, and stuff hits your family, and stuff hits your finances, and stuff hits your health, and stuff hits your church, and, and you're like, 
super tough. But Joseph, he went through it. And in Christ, in Jesus Christ, God kind of, he kind of gave us a Manasseh. A reminder, Joseph went through all this, and he says, my firstborn son is God. God, he put my past behind me. He made me forget my trouble. And no doubt, you got a story right now that you could stand up and say, I'll never forget when I went through this. There's things that if I handed you Mike, a mic right now, there's some of you that would actually start weeping. You would start crying as you told stories about something you went on with you, your family, your marriage, your whatever it is, where you'd start to share just the brokenness and the pain and the hurt. But then you'd say, but God did this, and he delivered me, and he brought me through, and he washed away my sins, and he set me free, and, 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 he, and he did these things. And we have that in Jesus because when God took on flesh and died on a cross... He made me forget my trouble. He made me say, you know what? That's in the past. Behold, all things have become new. Forgetting those things which are behind, I, I now I press toward the mark. I'm moving forward. The enemy knows that when you're in a pit, you can't get to the palace. So the enemy tries to keep you in the pit. And that's why a lot of times we have a hard time letting go because when somebody's trying to live for God, oh, oh, I'm tempted to go backwards. Sometimes it's I'm tempted to go back because the old crew's calling and, and they're going out and hitting the clubs or they're going out and doing whatever. And so it's, it's, it's tempting to go back. Other times, though, it's, well, I'm not even living that way. But sometimes we go, yeah, I just don't know if I can move forward in ministry. I don't know if I'm capable of teaching that class or speaking or ministering or, or singing or teaching kids. I don't know because you don't know what I've been through. You don't know. If you knew some of the things I'd done, you wouldn't even want me to come back in this church, Pastor. I'm telling you, I got, I got, I got a list a mile long of, of things that I've done. Matter of fact, I still struggle at times. And, and, we, and sometimes we, we live in our past simply because we're keeping ourselves there. Because we haven't forgiven ourselves because there's things in our past that we keep looking backward. And we find this theme throughout Scripture. That's why in the New Testament, Jesus is speaking once. He says, remember Lot's wife. That's it. That's all he says. That's the whole message. One verse. Remember, if that was Bible quizzing, I could do Bible quizzing. Remember Lot's wife. That's it. One verse. That's all it says. And what is that saying? Because Lot's wife was somebody who when God called her out of Sodom and Gomorrah, she's walking out of into a place that God has for her. But she looked backwards and became a pillar of salt. And so what was God, what Jesus was trying to say something there. Hey, if I'm calling you out of something, I never call you out of something unless I have something better for you. And if I've got something better for you, it's time to move forward and don't look back. And so hear that today, someone. If God's calling you out of something, it's not a punishment. It's, yeah, there's difficulties sometimes about cutting past ties. But if God's going to call you out of something, he's got something so much greater and better for you. Don't look over your shoulder and wonder what you're leaving behind. And so you look then, the name of the second born son. He says, God made me forget my troubles. Oh, wow, another son. This son is going to be named Ephraim. God has made me fruitful in my land of suffering. You see, there's a reason he was the second born son. Ephraim could never have been born without Manasseh coming first. Meaning, you can't be fruitful in your current land if your past has you trapped. 
God, God's got you. If you're, if you're here, if you're online, if you're here today, if it's your first time walking in this church, you've been here a long time, it doesn't matter. Every single human being, God has you right where he wants you right now at this time. And you are now faced with decisions that say, I'm just going to stay here, I'm going to go backward, or I'm going to go forward. That's it. Everybody, every human being has the same thing. We're either just going to stay here where we're at, we're going to go back, or we're going to go forward. That's it. And so for you, you cannot be fruitful in your current land if you're living in your past. And so Joseph reveals himself, though, to his brothers. And naturally, I mean, imagine that. They finally mess with him a little bit. He goes, guys, hey, stand up. It's Joseph. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I'll tell you, remember when you broke my G.I. Joe at Christmas? <laughs> and imagine the terror. We're dead. We're dead. But Joseph had already been delivered by God. Not only was he gone from the pit to the palace... But he also is now in a place with the delivery of his two sons. God has made me forget my past suffering. And now God has made me fruitful in my land of suffering. Can God make you fruitful during a time of suffering? That seems strange. Once the famine starts and he sees his brothers bow down to him, he knew he had remained upright, just like his dreams told him he would be. Joseph knew that God would, had been with him through all of these things. And look what Joseph says to his brothers when he reveals to them exactly who he is. 45.5 says, now therefore, be not grieved. They're stressed out. Don't even be angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me. He sent, he, he sent me ahead to preserve your life is essentially what he says. Whoa, hang on a second. See, we can understand like, hey, someone let us down. Someone lied to us. Someone put us in the pit. Well, that all makes sense. Like, oh, I can, I, I can get that. That makes sense. But what about when God, what about when God takes us into the pit, into the prison? It's harder to reconcile as a Christian. Hang on a second here. Because Joseph said, hey, guess what? All through this time of suffering, I look back and I see the hand of God. Now, hang on a second, because I thought when I came to God and I decided to pour your spirit out, that like it was going to go well and I leave and life is awesome. I prayed the prayer. God, I was even a good, I, I mean, like I was a man. I said, God, make me who you want me to be. But you see, when he starts making us who he wants us to be, that's not always Million-dollar homes and Rolls Royces. Sometimes he takes us to where he says, hey, I got a plan for you. 
But we get lost sometimes because we think God's plan is always intending to make us happy. To make my life easy. But when you read scripture and you read about the, the mightiest men and women of God, they were getting javelins chucked at their head, running and hiding in caves, feeling alone, saying, I'm the only one that's left, facing opposition, facing enemies, hiding out, getting martyred for being followers of Christ. Like, there's not a lot of stories where people just lived really exciting, comfortable lives and stayed in the background. And so this scares a lot of people, but... Here's what he said, hey, when I, I look back and through all of this, God used my life to make a difference in an entire community. And that's where if we can revolutionize our thinking, God, his will is to get you to heaven to be with him for eternity. And along the way, he wants to use your life to try and impact as many people to get them there too. God never promised that everything's going to be easy and comfortable and, and fulfilling. He just says, hey, read the stories. The greatest men and women of God, they were able to walk with me, but then look back and say, hey, even in the midst of suffering, God blessed my life. God used me to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish in a lost and dying world. He used me to impact my nation, my community, my city. He used me, even though for me it was hard personally at times. Joseph saw the hand of God in every aspect. So he said, God sent me, in verse 7, before you to preserve you in a posterity in the earth. Verse 8, so now it was not you that sent me thither, but God. He looks back and sees that you guys thought you threw me in a pit. You sold me into slavery. You sent me to Egypt. It was Potiphar did that this. Potiphar's wife who lied and did all this stuff. No, he looks back and says, my steps are ordained by God. And David can say things like, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear evil because you're with me. You know what? You, you prepare a place for me in the presence of mine enemies. And so he, it, when, when we have that level of faith, it doesn't matter what the situation and the circumstance looks like. We can say, God, I know that you're in this. You did not bring me to a pit to leave me die here. And if you did, you're going to impact someone's life in this prison. Paul and Silas said, hey, if you brought me to a pit to die here, I'm going to start singing a song of praise and we're going to go down worshiping. And so when we have that mindset, when we have that mindset, that's where God says, oh, watch this. Watch the miraculous things that I can perform, not only in your life, but I can start to save the Philippian jailer, and I can start to save the community and save cities around you because you're not so consumed with, bless me, make me comfortable, take the problems away, help me, God. 
No, we say, God, I'm walking in your plan, in your will, and in your way. And no matter where you take me, if I go to a pit, if I go down the path, if I go to prison, if someone lies about me, no matter what happens, if I keep worshiping, I keep living for you, I know that you have a plan, that you're going to work this out because my life exists for one sole purpose. You know why your life exists? To bring God glory. That's it. So as you, you've heard me teach and preach, and everything has to do with a name. A name meant everything. And you look at what the Bible says about his dad, Joseph's dad, Jacob, in Genesis 46, 28. He, Jacob, sent Judah before him unto Joseph. Because now they're like, Dad, he's alive. Who's alive? Joseph, we lied. We're sorry. We'll tell you about it later. But let's go meet Joseph. And so they're getting, they're getting the family together. There's about 70 family members, and they're going to make the trip over to Egypt. And he's going to get to reimagine that. I mean, that's the greatest. You think about movies today and emotions. Like, this is the greatest movie I've ever. You watch the, oh, they're all crying, and Jacob's falling on Joseph's. No, I thought you were dead, my son. I love you. Oh, I got grands. Oh, wow. I mean, that was emotional. But notice that it says it comes time for him to leave. And he, you would think that he'd become with Benjamin. Where's Benjamin? I need Benjamin by me. Keep Benjamin. I need to keep Benjamin close. But even Jacob was delivered at this point. He said, wow. Even Jacob, no doubt, saw the hand of God at this point. Joseph's actually been alive this whole time. But he says, I need somebody to lead me. It's not Benjamin. I want Judah. Why is that? Because Judah's name in Hebrew means praise. Shortly after Joseph was born, his daddy changed his, God changed his daddy's name. Jacob wasn't called Jacob anymore. His name was Israel. Israel means God will prevail. And you put all that together. In order for the children of God to prevail... The first thing that needs to happen happened in Egypt because there is no, there is no regathering of the family. If God doesn't help you forget your troubles and you don't forget that past and leave it in the past. You don't have that second child. Hey, God's made me fruitful in the land of suffering that even though I acknowledge I have suffered. But in my suffering, he's been there. And so I know I'm I'm fruitful because God's still been with me this whole time. And when that happens, God's people, God will prevail. When, when God's people go to a place of provision, the only way that we actually prevail is to be led by a life of praise. That if we want to be the man and women that God wants us to be, we got to live a life that says, Lord... I won't be a man of praise. Let, praise has to lead my life everywhere I go. Yeah, I know my name is prevail. I know my name is victory. But victory only comes when praise leads me. When praise leads me, then I know that no matter where the path takes me, 
I know that no matter what happens, oh, the past is already forgotten. God's made me fruitful in a land of suffering. I'm going to prevail, but the only way that I do is every day that praise leads and guides my life. Praise takes me down the path. Praise takes me where it wants me to be. In the dry seasons of your life, I'm almost done. The, pr- the place where God's victory over situation and provision intersect, it intersects at the point of praise. Praise is what will lead you to God's victory and provision in your life. Just as praise led Jacob, God praise needs to lead you to. If you allow praise to be what leads and guides you, that's where you have victory. That's where you have provision. You see, even in a dry time of famine and seeming death that they were experiencing, they still, hey, Joseph said, hey, you know what? I can look back. I can see God's hand. God's been with me. Yet will I praise. You read the same thing from Job. He says, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. We get angry at God so fast when things don't go exactly how we want them to go. But when we live a life that says that, yet though he slay me, I'm going to praise him. He puts me in jail, I'm going to sing a song like Paul and Silas. He puts me in the prison. I'm going to be like Joseph and still stand upright because I know my life only exists to give him praise. So my question to you is, can you praise him in a famine or do you only praise him in the times of plenty? Do you only praise him when things are going well, the car's working, the cause is there, you got, you, you're making good money and the health is there and the family has a good diagnosis? Is that the only time that we can praise or can we praise him in a famine when we're in a pit, when somebody lied about us, when someone Someone in our family has betrayed us. Can you still see God's hand when it seems like everybody's against you and God's forgotten you and you're in a pit by yourself and and you're just saying, God, where are you? What happened to the vision? What happened to the dream? What happened? I thought you called me one time. Here I am sitting here by myself. Nobody cares about me. But can you at that moment just stand up and brush yourself off and say, I don't care what's going on right now. You are worthy of praise. I lift my hands to you, Jesus. You're worthy of the worship, God because I exist to bring you praise. If you want me to sit in a prison, I exist to bring you praise. If someone's going to lie about me, I exist to bring you praise. If you're going to literally take everything away from me, I exist to bring you praise. I ask you to stand to your feet this morning. And I'll say this as I close. Abraham is celebrated by the Jewish nation because he's the father of the faithful. He's the one that the nation, God gave him the promise. Oh, as the sands of the sea, the stars of the sky. So shall your descendants be. And everybody celebrates Abraham because Abraham's faith birthed an entire nation. But I will say this today. It was Abraham's faith that birthed the nation, but it was Joseph seeing God's hand that preserved the nation. Because where is the nation if Abraham's faith births it, but then Joseph rots in a prison cell in a pit saying, I hate this. I ain't living this way. I can't even believe I even followed God. And like some people get, what happens to the nation of God's people at that point? No, no, no. Abraham's faith birthed the nation. But Joseph seeing God's hand preserved the nation. And so when you see God's hand in all things of your life, that's where you can say, all right, Lord, no matter where I am, no 
matter what I'm doing, praise is going to lead me. Praise is going to lead me to victory. Praise is going to lead me to the reunion. Praise is going to lead me to your perfect plan and your will and your way. No matter what, God, I exist to give you and to bring you praise. Let my life reflect praise to everyone around me, Jesus. Oh, I pray. I'm just asking if that's you today, that you just want to find a place to pray. You just want to find a place to say, God, let my life praise you. Let everything I do praise you. Let my responses worship you. Let everything I say, I don't want to just say I trust you with my mouth, but God, I want praise to lead and guide me down every path, every path, every plan, every interaction, God. I live a life of praise because praise is what leads to victory and provision.